After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus with my buddy... David Silver. Hello. Hi, Dave. And we've got uh, a very old friend of mine, Tom Lopez. And Tom, do you mind if I give your uh, your uh, radio stage name as well? I mean... No, no, I use it all the time. You still so. do. And you don't know that... Yeah. Meatball mm-hmm. Fulton is Tom's name okay. on, uh, on the radio. Okay. All right. So uh, just I got to set this up a little bit. Tom, uh, now some of you guys listening out there, I've told you about my meeting with Ramdas when I was a program director of a freeform rock and roll station in Montreal, Quebec. And um, we're going to, f- I can't quite remember how these guys came over, but there was a, a radio station in Philadelphia called WMMR. Got that right, Tom? MMR, right? Um, oh, you mean where I worked? Where you used back to back then? Yeah. No, no. Uh, what was w- it? W H Y. W H Y. Okay. W U H Y. U H Y. Now it's called. Now it's called something else. It's called. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the same thing. I can't. Yeah. They change everything. You know, they do that over the years. Um, so, uh, these guys came over, they were very experienced in freeform radio, which meant you could do what you play, what you want. You can play a jazz cut into a blues cut, into a, uh, a folk cut, into classical music, into, and just riff for a while about nothing, uh, like we're doing right now. And, um, it was all cool. And it was a melange that, uh, was some of the most appreciated, best radio uh that i've ever heard or been involved with uh some of it started out in i mean what i knew uh, how i even learned about it was living back then in the late 60s out on the west coast and there was a station called kmpx and then later ksan and a guy named tom donahue donahue uh who was the father of this am i you correct me uh if i yeah no no he was he was yeah yeah and they started this free form format which extended into philly where tom worked into uh and the other station i really knew about was bcn in boston where buddy dave over here was uh living at the time and you remember bcn yeah wbcn was a big part of my life as a listener tom but also i was on the air a lot because i had my own TV show at that time, and Charles Lacodera, who was a friend of mine, that would invite me on. And Peter Wolf was the uh, late night DJ from uh, eleven o'clock to two, 
So BCM was the equivalent was the equivalent of uh, what you you guys were doing. We'll talk about that later, but we want to talk more to begin with about your um, your inventiveness and, and so, what you started up there. Yeah. So actually, Tom, um, how did you get over? I mean, we um, you know we were setting up this collective. Uh, by the way, folks, the guy that uh, owned this station, um, uh, he. Um, he was into, he was like way, what we were in our 20s, whatever, but he was about uh, 45, 50 at the time. Jeff Sterling mm -hmm. was his name. He, uh, we basically got him really ripped, stoned, and screwed up and said to him, you know what, Jeff, this bullshit that you're playing over at the at CKGM, which was the call letters of the station, it's got to stop. You want to do something real? Let's go over there. We'll take over the station. We'll play some real rock and roll, and uh, we'll simulcast it. That way, you don't have to pay anybody on the AM side. I mean, we're talking about a 50,000, 60,000-watt station, not you know, a very powerful station. Well, we got him really stoned, and he walked over, and he fired everybody. And, uh, <laughs> and we suddenly were running this thing, and the salespeople there were like flipped, all these long-haired hippies suddenly walking around the station like they owned it. And it created, of course, an insanity that ensued. Now, how did you get involved in that insanity? Because I don't remember how you guys came over from Philly. Do you remember? Well, well, yeah, sort of. Uh, Max somehow, who is part of ZBS, but this predates ZBS. Uh, Max somehow met Jeff Sterling. Uh, I don't, I don't know where. And uh, and and one thing or another, it it occurred to um, or. Or Max had mentioned that, or Max had played Jeff some of the uh, fake uh, commercials oh, right. that I did because the station uh, WHY was a you know a public station, non-commercial station, and I felt that my show I did a two-hour show on Sunday nights needed uh, it, it it needed the feel of more of a of a commercial uh, feel to it. That is, the energy of public radio back then was so low. But and we're not talking cool or laid back, just yeah, right. just <laughs> just non-vibrant. Um, and uh, and I decided I could spice up my show by dropping in by getting the rhythms of commercial radio in a sense and creating these fake little ads. And uh, and and somehow or another, uh, I guess Max played Jeff some, and Jeff was looking for somebody who would write commercials right. and uh, <laughs> and and could also do a show. And so I met Jeff uh, in in Arizona at his place there, and then went on and and uh, I used to stay with Beefheart, Captain Beefheart, Don Van Vliet, when I was in Los Angeles, and so I stopped there and and for a bit, and then went on to uh, Montreal, thinking I think it was like late February, and I thought, oh well, spring spring is going to start you know, in <laughs> a few weeks, <laughs> and there was mountains of snow and we didn't see spring until sometime signs of it in may and even then it would snow you know so <laughs> um so but so that's how i sort of ended up the station through these fake and, commercials and there and uh there you were with uh i'm basically i remember uh, i don't even know how uh, patty came along uh, and by the way we have to back up one second here because we have to say tom has um I don't know if you want to call it a collective. It was back when I used to come there. Um, and uh, it's called ZBS Media. And Tom's 
been doing you know wonderful uh, radio programs for a long time now that are exceptional and you're going to hear some of what he's done as we go through our show here but i just want if you are interested uh as we go through here zbs.org is where to go on the net so i wanted to let you all know about that so suddenly i had these people there i mean i knew nothing from nothing i got i was a librarian okay at this radio station that's how i got the gig at the station i was the librarian i was a full-on psychedelic out hippie at the time but uh somewhat entrepreneurial entrepreneurial and uh but my knowledge of radio was limited to what i had heard out in the west coast from kmpx and ksan tony pig and tom donahue so uh th- there you were you showed up and uh we picked up from you uh how to communicate on the radio how to really uh be comfortable with um making the people who are listening feel like they were part of us rather than you know the the archetypical am disc jockeys that were screaming out at you every day <laughs> so um and we learned a lot about tone of voice, which was came in very handy, Tom, over the years, just doing different things, especially lately in the last number of years. I've been working with Ramdas and Krishnas and other people, and I did so all through my record company years. Uh, and uh, that was an invaluable thing uh, to, to, to learn. I mean, for instance, Dave, we used to have one thing. The... The what we had there's the FTC here that controls the broadcast waves and obscenity and so on, and in Canada it's the F. What is it, Tom? FTC. Uh, isn't it C C something? Uh, it starts with a C, not an F. Though, yeah, I right. Think. Yeah, isn't something. It, like, Canadian, uh, I, I can, can't Canadian. Either, the, yeah. <laughs> but it's their equivalent. CRTC. That's it. CRTC. CRT. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. more, more obscenity police mm-hmm. is basically what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So we used to try mm-hmm. and get away with shit. This was your idea, by the way. I don't know if you remember, but <laughs> we just to see what we could get away with because they come after you if you start railing out, you know, those fucking pigs that are on the streets gassing people, you know, <laughs> you'd get arrested right away. I mean, they come and close that, you know, mm-hmm. they threaten the station owner. So Tom introduced... Gee, it's a wonderful day today. The sun is shining. It's fucking absolutely beautiful. <laughs> nobody, nobody would come, and we'd never hear about it. Not once. <laughs> I did hear from I did hear from them once. You did? I played a Frank Zappa interview, and there and I left the cuss words in, and uh, and it was very strange. I, I think they. Uh, I I think I think all I all I did was say I felt it was part it, it was an essential part of the interview and and uh, hmm. and that's why you know that's why I felt it was okay and they said fine <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a difference between Canada and the yeah, U.S. Amazing, amazing yeah yeah so uh, and it was at that time that uh, as I said I've talked about this on, on this podcast and and others about how. I had this life-changing event. I mean, to some degree, all of us, we, we met Ramdas. Um, you were, were you there then? I think you were there when that happened, right? When Ramdas came into town? Or did you come right after that? 
I I'm not sure. Well, I, if you I, were there, and I think yeah. you came there just on the cusp of because if you came there in February, Ramdas came in March. I kind of remember mm-hmm. that. So anyway, you were probably just on the cusp of that. But a, as a result of all of that, just to uh, say another thing, of course, you know, many of us uh, got introduced. We were introduced to the East and Eastern philosophy, uh, you know, probably uh, by psychedelics. Uh, many of us, uh, David and I, mm-hmm. have talked a lot about the importance of that and we've gotten some a little bit of angry mail uh on that one um because psychedelics has screwed up people as well as uh been a life changer for people or you know and it's how and we've said to people it's it's how you use it it is not what it is on every level whatever it is that you're doing and it's funny because yesterday on our podcast that we had uh we did a, a podcast with Ram Dass, which will be out later, folks. Um, and he talked extensively about the importance of psychedelics. Yeah, Tom, we were saying, let's cool it with the, you know, the psychedelics because people are getting pissed at us. And it's not like we're drug addicts. But then we start talking to Ram Dass without any script, obviously, and, you know, and quickly in the flow of it. Uh, he started telling us about the importance of psychedelics <laughs> in his journey, you know. So we, really, yeah, yeah, yeah which, no, no. He's yeah. still. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's. Uh, he mm. does not disavow any of that, you know, which is so great, you know, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but what happened next? Um, following our uh, then, so you know, the station broke up basically when we. Uh, it it lasted a little longer, but after I left. Uh, we started to lose some real money. <laughs> Jeff Sterling finally closed it all down. Um, but mm. uh, And I went to India. And uh, when I came back, though, uh, we got together and uh, we had a project with Ramdas uh, in 1973-4 um, mm-hmm. that was uh, called the Love Serve Remember Set. And uh, it's uh, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of LPs which are now available as downloads from Z- zbs.org they are still right tom available through yeah. you yeah yeah oh yes yeah, yeah. and they're incredible there's uh, uh, just uh, all sorts of different things from readings to ramdas talking to people on the radio to music to i mean it's just uh, and we did it with tom and the zbs media crew so w- for mm-hmm. a number of years there we had quite a, a nice little association with you all but um I'd like to just just to tell me a little bit, tell us rather, uh, a little bit about how you came to radio and uh, your your involvement over those years and what that's meant to you. How did I come to radio? Good. I I, I always expected. I studied media in uh, college back in Michigan State, and I always thought, and also sort of was connected to the TV department to some extent. Uh, but, but for some reason or another, it, it just sort of drifted that way. When I got to Berkeley in around 1960, um, after I started a master's at Michigan State, and then I just said, what am I doing, you know, and uh, left for the West Coast. And then I started uh, listening to, um, what, what is this, K, KP, KP? KPF, what, what is KPFA. 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 Yeah. And then I started doing some, you know, volunteering and doing some things. And uh, a strange thing happened. It, it, this is one of these little bizarre things that happens sometimes in one's life, not, but extremely rarely. 
Uh, and they, I wanted to, they said, oh, well, you know, to do radio, you needed to get a f feel for tapes. And so they gave me something to edit. And it was a little children's show. And, uh, and, and like they said, take out every other word, you know, give me razor blade and so on. And the first word I took out was elephants. And I held it up, you know, and it was like fascinating, you know, several inches long, a few inches long. And, and uh, I was looking at that, just absolutely amazed that, that you would have a spoken word of elephants on this little piece of tape. <laughs> and, this, and this chill, like this shiver went through me. It was like my whole body went, Ugh! you know, when I did this and I, and suddenly it flashed to me, I'm going to be spending a lot of my life with uh, mm. doing this. <laughs> and uh, and that, that's sort of what started. And then there was a wonderful person by, who's still alive, Eric Bowersfeld, who did something there, uh, I think called a Black Mass on, on uh, Saturday nights. And he would uh, do little radio productions or quite extensive half hours or so. And that that got me started, and uh, and I've got a Ure tape machine back then, which was a very uh, German-made mm. machine. Yeah. And I realized that I could do radio on my own. I could easy, I could tape it and and edit it, and you know, and then later mix it and so on. And so it was a medium that uh, I liked the idea that you know you didn't have to go through all sorts of other people. You could actually do it on your own. Not your own radio station, but you could do the productions totally yourself. And that's what got me hooked. Mm. Isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, these podcasts have become so incredibly popular uh, and a, a lot of people are doing exactly what you just said that you were doing 40 years ago or whatever. Um, they're doing it now, and it's a it's a medium that allows people to express themselves. People, I mean, they're just they're not listening to radio. I mean, there's no radio to listen to. I mean, there still is KPFK. Is it? K I, we may have some of those call letters screwed up, but it's the Pacifica or the uh, uh, yeah Pacifica stations down in California, and the one in Santa Monica yeah. um, does have something in the morning called Morning uh, Becomes Eclectic. Mm. Um, that is a freeform station, so to speak. Basically, it's become a, what they call a uh, an expanded AAA station where they play a lot of, you know, they're not playing mainstream pop. You know, they're playing more uh, or lesser known stuff. They will play stuff that no, nobody's heard before, new artists and so on. But it is nothing like what we're talking about where there was a real real creativity going on and uh um now i might say just as a thing that i grew up in england tom and it was even worse there because all we had was the bbc bbc one right bbc one we didn't yeah, have i a, remember you know, nothing else I, I lived yeah i lived in london for a couple of years uh in from about 63 64 65 no, no 64 65 so something like that and and they had the pirate stations yes, then though yes. And I was amazed because, uh, any, anyway. Well, Radio Caroline was, saved it. was, yeah, was, yeah. was a huge, you know, a huge explosion of, of creativity for all of us there. Because, you know, I, the BBC yeah. didn't play the Beatles, you know. I mean, that was just astounding. No, I know. And, crazy. And actually, do you remember John Peel? Absolutely. He was the yeah. absolute master of the change. 
in British radio. Well, I knew John Peel, and and John Peel told me about, at the time, they had something called needle time, and that is, uh, and what they would do, and actually I did this because I went in with the Pink Floyd one day to the BBC studio, and they re-recorded their hit song, and in that way, the union, uh, it would allow them to play one of their songs that was recorded without it being called needle time, uh, which the union insisted that they had to have so much, I guess, live music and, and so much of just recorded music. But by their re-recording their hit, they were then able to get more plays on the BBC, which was so extraordinary and so absolutely stupid, which Peel, of course, absolutely agreed with. And Peel even told me about the BBC orchestra playing Jimi Hendrix. Yes, I remember it's a it. recording. I would have loved to have heard. No, I heard it. Change. I heard it. It was it was monstrous. It was just monstrous. <laughs> but you know what's funny, Tom? Now is that the Beatles and Led Zeppelin's BBC sessions are now available. I bought them, and uh, they're very good. Actually, uh, you know, they're pretty good. And uh, that, but the BBC was completely ridiculous. I mean, people talk about it now as if it's some godlike thing, but it was a nightmare right. for those of us. And we all listened to Radio Luxembourg in any case. Yeah, uh, that was it. Yeah, Pirate Radio same, back then. Yeah, the first, you know, yeah, that was yeah. it. And, and that's when I heard Little Richard and Elvis and everything. And every single person of my age group, from unknown people to, uh, you know, Keith Richards, did the same thing. And that was the beginning of it there. Here, at least, you had different stations in different areas. We had that one lousy station. And uh, right. if there's anybody from the BBC <laughs> listening, I will never take that back. <laughs> Dave's got a great story about BC Ed, though. We should talk about it. Yeah. We, Norm Weiner was uh, the guy at BCN, yes. and he eventually came over to CKG, where we were after I left. He, I got him hired to replace me so I can go to India. And uh, he was a pretty straight-laced guy, and it didn't really work out. But tell us that story about well, yes, BCN. Uh, it was reminded to me a, few, a year ago when I got on a plane, a very small plane, and was hoping that the seat next to me wouldn't be taken. But of course it was, and it was Norm Weiner. And uh, he recognized me, and I recognized him. We had a great talk and remembered some of these events. Uh, you know, to get back to what we were saying before, the community level of, of this um, late 60s, early 70s stuff cannot be overestimated. And BCM was part of our lives, those of us who lived in Cambridge. And um, a couple of times I would guest DJ, and Peter Wolf was a good friend, still is, and he was a marvelous DJ. But one night... Uh, Charles Lacoadira called me and said, do you want to come up to the station? And I said, yes. And I went with my friend Stu Werbin, who was a great rock journalist. And we went up there and we thought, why don't we ask Charles if he could, you know, drop some acid with us? <laughs> so we went up there and, and Charles said, okay, fine, no problem. So about an hour before his show, and he was the premier uh, DJ there, even more than Peter, Woofer Goofer, Peter Wolf. So we dropped the acid, and then we, it sort of rattled around to 9 o'clock. And about 10 to 9, Charles looked at me and said, Who am I? I said, You're Charles. <laughs> he said, No, no, I've forgotten who am I. What are we doing here? What is this place? And I said, It's, oh. the, it's WBCN, Charles. You're the number one DJ here. He said, I, what, DJ? <laughs> what are those? So oh it, 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 it was really weird because we did needle drop, you know, as you remember. So he sa- I said, And what are you starting? He said, Well, starting what? So Stu and I were horrified, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. we were tripping too, but we sort of had it together. So I did the show, which was <laughs> a mess. Oh, my gosh. It was a horrible mess. But Charles <laughs> just sat there with, with his eyes sort of looking at the wall, and eventually he remembered. He said, what are you doing here? 
I said, Charles, were you, oh. you were incapable of doing What do you mean incapable? Get out of here. Who are you? <laughs> you know? but, but, you know, I can hear you laughing because even though that's an extreme case, and for those of you out there who are saying, stop talking about drugs, uh, we will uh, in, in a few years. Oh, but the, the truth is that, you know, he was a, a, a minute casualty for about two hours, but he came around and then he told me many years later that uh, the setting was wrong. It was a small room and it made him claustrophobic. But mm -hmm. the freedom of that radio, which, you know, drugs were maybe a small part of it, but not a large part of it. What, what was really going on was that people wanted to hear music uh, that was running through their bloodstream at the time. And it could be Frank Zappa. It could be Don DeVlay, Captain Beefheart. It could be anything. Uh, it could be uh, Beethoven's Ninth. And it, it fitted with our lives, you know, with the stream of consciousness and the unusual nature of our daily lives. And the radio then became a family member. Everybody yeah. in Boston, Cambridge, loved those DJs. And we felt that they were part of our family. It's, it's, it's down to that. It was, it was organic, if, if, if you can use that word about it. Mm. Was that your experience too, Tom? Well, I, I was just thinking, that, you know, the documentaries that are done of like the 60s and, and Berkeley and, and that sort of thing, which, which tend to focus on, well, you know, the hippies, of course, but also the political. And none of them seem to, at least that I've seen, really give credit to uh, the radio and, and the music and just how, uh, how that invigorated all of that and, and really that energy how it how it brought things about, and uh, it was a, such an important part of it. So yeah, big yeah, time experience. Big know. time. Mm -hmm. I mean, just what we did, Tom, in Montreal at that station for really a year and a half, whatever it wasn't a, a, that long. Uh, so many. I mean, just with Ramdas. Never mind. I mean, there was tr we community is the word. I mean, we created mm -hmm. tremendous community with that station i mean there was no doubt about it. people used to pop down to the station people used to come over we lived in a house my father left us uh he had this house and he got divorced and he decided to move in an apartment and he, into an apartment and he left us this really nice upscale house in in a section of montreal called westmount where this station was was a block and a half away and so the house became it was like we were you know, back and forth in the house and, you know, all kinds of crazy people would come by and we'd hang out and, you know, the interviews with everybody who came through Montreal, including that horrible incident with Led Zeppelin. Do you remember that, Tom? <laughs> Led no, Zeppelin? No, I don't. Oh, no, Led I don't. No. Well, I think you were there, but Led Zeppelin, I'll just, this is very brief. Led Zeppelin came okay. to town and I, uh, my brother uh, was on the air and he only liked R&B. Everything else right. was bullshit to him. So I dragged him to this concert, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin, and in the concert. And we, we were slightly effete about m music. I mean, it was like, you know, if it wasn't Hendrix or, you know, the great blues players from B.B. King or, you know, Albert King, you know, that kind of stuff, then it was bullshit. It wasn't Dylan, it wasn't Van Morrison, it was, you know, so Led Zeppelin was a, a bit in, do you want to get that, Tom? <laughs> no, it'll, it, 
four rings and it'll go to four okay well, right. <laughs> so one more and you won't have uh, okay normally great. there's someone in the office and she's gone off to to the dentist Otherwise, oh okay. <laughs> uh <laughs> boy anyhow cool. so cool. uh so we uh, my brother and i the kind of going oh god what crap this is so he gets on the air the next day and and he said, I went to see Led Zeppelin last last night. What a horrible <laughs> piece of shit that was. <laughs> Anyhow, turns out Jimmy Page and and uh, uh, Robert. Robert were uh, listening to the to us at the time, oh, and they God. went ballistic oh. and went on a, a television show and denounced <laughs> my brother Douglas Marcus. <laughs> you know, it was ter- I've told this story before. But uh, the uh, I had to go down and um, you know visit with Robert along with uh, uh, Doug Pringle, who was an Englishman who was uh, they liked, and I had to uh, bow and scrape. Actually, Robert uh, was uh, fortunately he was the only one that was there, but he was very nice <laughs> to me. <laughs> but that says a lot about what we did, you know, in those days. You know, you told the truth as as you saw it. And, and, you know, I don't want to get negative here, but in the years since then, you listen to radio, you watch television, you know, American Idol, and you see all this incredibly orchestrated stuff with not an inch of freedom. Yeah. And you do, I thought at that yeah. time, Tom, I really did think this was going to change everything, you know, that radio would become, continue like this, and everything I, would... I would did, be, too. You did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. When I worked in Philadelphia and I had my station, I, I used to, you know, play. It was 10 or my station, my show on Sunday night from 10 to midnight. And I would leave cuss words in and stuff like that because I, uh, and I and I used to be amused. And I, I said, oh, isn't it funny? It's like, I feel like I'm sort of breaking through a membrane, but in the future, it'll be just so much more free. And little did I know it was going to go just the opposite. Mm, yeah, and it's great that this generation of people in their twenties and thirties and and younger are breaking through in different ways. They just said, "To heck with this! We got the internet, we got everything else, we got yeah. iPods. We're not standing for this." Yeah. And I, I love that about this generation that they've used this medium, this new medium, you know, to do what we were doing, only even more evolved in a way. Because, uh, although I must say, at that time, there was a certain kind of non-judgmentalism um, about it, except about maybe the police beating you on the head. Um, mm. You know, which nobody was non-judgmental about. But in terms of what we played um, on the radio, I say we, I listened. I was a fan, you know. It was so delightful. You're driving in your car and you're listening to, you know, I don't know, whatever, the Rolling Stones, and you don't know what's coming next. And it's, you know, it's Dave Van Ronk. Uh, mm. You know, and, mm. and, and it's because the DJ loved folk music from, you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts. It, you didn't know what was coming, and it was sort of like life to me, and I miss it. I really do still miss that aspect of radio, you know. So, Raghu, yeah. tell yeah. us more about, about Tom's um, inventive uh, behavior. Well, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to play for you. So, oh, yeah. Tom, we're going to, uh, maybe we're going to just play this track, and uh, it's called Shea Toots, and uh, you can tell us a little bit about it after it uh, stops here. So here we go, folks. Something you probably never experienced before, this kind of radio. It was in Paris, in one of those retro noirish cafes, the sort of place that's always dark, even in daylight. 
It's the sort of place you'd expect to find Hemingway or Fitzgerald, or maybe Gertrude Stein and Alice B. huddled together at the next table. It's the sort of place where American expatriates hung out back in the 1920s and 30s. When you walked down the steps into Shade Tootsie, it was like stepping into a time warp. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. Vous avez une allumette, un feu? What's that? A light. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, Zippo. Are you Tootsie? No, 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 no. I'm Claudette. I'm Freddy. Mm, American. That's right. After that, I spent a lot of time at Shade Tootsie. I felt I fit right in with its bohemian clientele. But it was Claudette I wanted to see. I asked her out. She said no. Finally, I told her. I've fallen in love with you. I know, Freddy. Will you go away with me? I cannot, Freddy. Why not? We are from the different time. What do you mean? I don't know. I have to go back to the States. Why? Business. When you come back? You bet I will. When? In a few weeks. Do not stay long. I won't, I promise. Write to me, Freddy. I will. Send it to me, care of Chez Tootsie. So a few weeks in the States turned into months. First, I wrote almost every day, then every week, then less as time went by. Claudette never wrote back. For some reason, I didn't expect she would. Then one day, my letter was returned, no such address. And then another came back, and another. I caught the next flight to Paris. I couldn't find the cafe, I couldn't find the street. People told me there never was a Chez Tootsie. On my last night in Paris, I went to see a movie. It was an old black and white film from the 30s. I was tired, I was dozing off when I heard. I opened my eyes. It was her. There she was, on the screen. And there was the cafe. And there was an American. And they fell in love. It was then I realized that I'd been playing his part. So set that up for us a little bit. That's part of a series. Yeah, part of a series called Two Minute Film Noir, which was uh, they were they would run about two to three minutes, um, and, I, and there's about 70, 70 of these. Seventy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, they, um, uh, they they were really made for radio. That is, you know, uh, public radio, and uh, a bunch of these did did play on. NPR had a series called Day to Day, and and I designed these to fit into with documentaries. I feel felt that I could, um, you know, produce something that would that would actually, even though it was fiction, it would work with uh, other uh, news and semi news shows. And uh, so Day to Day uh, would would drop them in right with the documentaries, and then uh, what was it, a year and a half, two years ago. NPR pulled a plug on day to day. To day was a daily, mm. uh, ran around noon daily news show that uh, that I don't know, a hundred and some stations picked up. And uh, anyway, uh, really so cool. it did work. It did work <laughs> for that fu- for for the reason they were designed. And now are they available? People can download them to their phones or smartphones, yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, it's on a right. They can. Yeah. Oh, there's great. a lot of production there, though, Tom. Tell me. I mean, there's actors, there's music, there's sound effects. It's quite complex and very yeah, the, beautiful. Well, the the um, 
the main voice there, and he's in another one, or he's in a bunch of them, actually, Tom Stewart, who really is the voice of Channel 13. So. Oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah, he's, he still works there, and uh, I like working with him. He's, he's got a nice voice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, and worked with a composer, Tim Clark, and worked with him for years. And, uh, mm. and uh, yeah, then I have my own studio here, of course. So. Yeah. Well, here, I want to play another one. Uh, you're in for it? What is it called? Um, let's see. It's uh, there's this is not the Galloway one. It's no words. Of oh, me- it, it's it's called um, "You're in for it now." You're in for okay. it now. Okay. Okay. Here you go. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to it. You- Hello. Kenny. Joey. Did anyone call tonight? Yeah. Just you. When did I call? When? Just now. No, I didn't. Ain't I talking to you? You is and you ain't. What is and what ain't? I'm talking now. Joey, you being metaphysical or metaphorical? No, I ain't being nothing. Well, somebody's being something. Sammy, I'm saying I am not on this phone talking to you. Now? Yeah, now. Right now? I'm not talking to you right now. Not right now. Not now. What about after now? Maybe. Way after now, but not right now. Then when? Not tonight. I didn't see you? Sure you saw me. Wasn't we together? He was. That's what I'm saying. Did I see you? Wasn't I with you tonight? Was you? That's what I'm saying. There. Where you been hiding in the closet? No, we was watching a movie. You was? Yeah, from about eight to after midnight. Joey, that's a long movie. It was, uh, it was The Godfather, parts one and parts two. I didn't rent that. What did you get? The Sound of Music. Oh, crap. I'll tell him we was watching it. They'll never believe me. You never saw it. What? What? Wasn't I with you? Yeah, but you never saw it. Jamie, what are you saying? You fell asleep. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get you. You snored right through my favorite part. Oh, yeah. The are alive with the Sound of Music. Not bad, eh, Joey? That was good. That was good, baby. Sammy, you're an angel. So when do I see you? As soon as you bail me out. Aw, Joey, not again. It's okay. I got an alibi. (laughs) I love that. That is super cool. I mean, that, that brings in so many different eras and styles and it's like a jazz riff that's uh, just that's fantastic tom that's really great oh good it was a lot of fun I, I, there's a group of actors they're all new york of course and uh and that i love working with because when uh i can hear when i'm writing i can hear their voices doing it so it makes it so much easier mm. okay we're going to play one more uh that uh is uh, or what's the name of this uh, partner here? Galloway. This is Galloway. Yes, Galloway. Yeah. Okay, here you go, folks. Galloway. I went down to Galloway's and had a burger. I'm wearing a checkered shirt and a Yankees cap. I sit at the bar. Hi, Joe. Hi, Bart. The usual. Yeah, the usual. Behind the bar, the whole wall is a mirror, so I got a good view of the place. I notice a guy sitting back against the far wall. He looks familiar. In fact, he looks a lot like me, but a better class of me. He looks like an Italian film director. I'm thinking, with the right wardrobe, I could look like that. And about then, a very attractive and stylish chick slips into the chair beside him. The chick, she looks bored, bored and beautiful. I'm watching all this reflected in the mirror. So I turn around to get a better look at her. She's sitting there, but she's alone. The guy's gone. I slip off the bar stool and walk over. 
She looks up and smiles. There's a guy over there. He's been watching us. What guy? He's wearing a checkered shirt and a baseball cap. Oh, yeah? His back is to us, but I saw his face in the mirror. I swear, he looks like you. No. Well, maybe a seedier version. At first, I think she's playing with me. But I turn around, and there's a guy with a checkered shirt sitting at the bar with his back to us. That's him. A thought is now entering my mind. Leave with her. Do it now. Maybe it's your doppelganger. My what? Why don't you go say hello? I gotta admit it's tempting. So I start for the bar. Don't forget me. So I turn around and say, Baby, don't you worry. But then when I turn back, the bar stool's empty. Hey, Joe. Wasn't there a guy sitting here? Yeah? You? No, some guy who looks like me. Yeah, that's what I said. I look in the mirror. She's still there. Here you go. What's this? That's what you asked for. Oh. It's not what I drink, but if my double ordered it, I figure he's got good taste, so... Hmm. Good. I look in the mirror. I don't see her. I turn around. She's gone. I don't know how many times I've gone back to Galloway's. I sit at the bar, looking at the mirror, watching me, watching everybody else. Life passes, but it's all reflection. Mm. It's all reflection. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, that fits in a lot with some of the stuff we're doing. It's a lot of the stuff, Tom, that I've been doing lately. In fact, we have uh, just a little plug here uh, for a book we have coming out uh, called Polishing the Mirror with Ram Das. And you remember Ramesh Radas, Tom? Yes, Ramesh, of, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he's uh, working with him now. His last book that uh, came out a couple of years ago. Uh, is with Ramesh. Uh, it's called uh, "Being Loved Now," uh, mm. "Be Loved Now," and uh, mm. you know. And uh, so he's been working there with him. And uh, so this polishing the mirror is about. Uh, it, it's kind of a. It's a real how-to f- uh, for this new generation of people how to get where Ramdas has been talking about being here now be here now uh, all these years and it's kind of a how to actually activate actuate that in your life and the the uh, the images uh, the actual book is going to be a reflective image and it'll reflect oh. you it's really oh. cool so that's reminded me of that the uh, i love so i love this little piece for that yeah and uh, existential I, I, thing at the end i i love it too and uh, you know it, it's again the creativity that points to something deeper without being pretentious. We've all been in a bar. We've all looked mm-hmm. at members of the opposite sex or maybe the same sex at the bar. We've always fantasized, well, maybe I can, I can be with that person. And, and even if it happens, you know, it still passes, doesn't it? It still passes. It was, <laughs> it was based on something that uh, there's a bar called Galloway's in, in a town nearby, Skylaville. And, uh, and and I was sitting there at the bar, looking in the mirror and watching people, and that's how the idea came mm, about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's really good. And it's yeah, and this yeah, th- th- this is missing. This is missing 
in radio today. But, you know, David said to me, Tom, you should be doing podcasts, by the way, uh, and including, uh, you know, stringing this, some of these things together in a way that would be really cool. So uh, we hope uh, you... Actually, I... No, actually, I am. We do. We do have a bunch of my podcasts. Uh, oh, you do. Play yeah, on on uh, on zbs dot org. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, we got to talk under, to you after about getting you. Uh, you know, getting people need to be able to subscribe to you on iTunes. So we'll we'll talk to you about that after. Um, now, one other. Uh, I want to talk about something else. That's. Um, I was introduced to by Tom. Uh, all those years back, and uh, this is somebody uh, who I would have to bet not many people of this generation, or the last couple, have heard of, and um, I am a huge fan of Tom Waits, and mm. this guy is a precursor to, as far as I'm concerned, with that same brilliant genius uh, and uh, it's, his name is Captain Beefheart, and uh, Don Van Vliet was his uh, real name, and uh, he had a thing called the Magic Band and made a bunch of records and was close to Frank Zappa, and we're going to find out a lot more about him uh, in a minute from both uh, my partner here and from Tom. Um, <coughs> but first, I want to introduce you to... Um, Captain Beefheart, and uh, this song is called uh, Hot Dog Night from the album Shiny Beast, mm -hmm. Bat Chain Puller. Now, that alone should give you an idea of the <laughs> wildness of uh, Captain Beefheart. So let's listen to this, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about it. Oh, 
Captain Beefheart, and <laughs> it's just incredible song called... Great song. Oh, unbelievable. Hot Dog, Tropical Hot Dog Night uh, mm-hmm. from Shiny Beast. Uh, just tell us about him. Just just tell us who this guy was, because he's unbelievable. Wait, which, who, who, uh, who Captain are you... Captain... No, no, I meant... Did you want me to talk? Oh, yeah, about no, him you. Or? Yes, you. Yes, you. Okay, Tom. okay. Because um, I met him when um, when his album um, Trout Mass Replica, a double yeah. LP that was produced by Zappa uh, for what was Zappa's? I think it was Bizarre Label. Anyway, I was working at a radio station in uh, Philadelphia at the time, and. Uh, I, I was so just blown away by it that I decided to do an interview and I went out to California and arrived at Beef Hearts with my tape recorder and uh, set it up through um, someone at Zappa's company. And I walked in and, you know, started talking to Beef Heart and he's like looking at me rather oddly <laughs> and, 
And I would do this by just talking to the person while I set up the mic and tested it. And so, so I never would start, a, okay, here we are now. It would just, it would just flow into it. You know, I could do an introduction later. And he, and he would say, I would ask a question and he would say these answers that were so from out there somewhere else. Well, later I found out, well, what, what happened was that I stayed on for about five days. I just lived there. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, so take it up with this guy. And, you know, plus he invited me. He just said, uh, we're staying. And he said, oh, come here. You can, we've got room. Because uh, the musicians also lived there. It was in Woodland Hills. And it was a little place. And he had a, another building or something that most of the musicians lived in. But um, the thing about, I mean, later I found out that, that they, never, they never mentioned that someone was going to come and do an interview. And that's why he was looking at me strangely. I walk in the door with the microphone and start. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Warner Brothers did put the album out. Actually, it's online somewhere. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good hour or so. But me, with these long pauses, his giving me an answer in these long pauses later. But there's, a, there's two things I want to say about Beefheart. Because I spent time, whenever I'd be in L.A., I'd, I'd just stay at his place. And I remember um, one evening, arriving about six in the in the afternoon and we started talking and I noticed there was something, I mean, I sort of noticed this before, but this time it really became obvious that uh, we would be talking about something and I would be going, bah, 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 and he would go, bah, 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 meaning about three or four words. And meaning I, I was just using all these words, trying to get to what it was I was trying to say, and he would just say it. Wow. And, then, wow. and then through the night, because we talked, we talked, uh, you know, we ate, we talked, we talked. It was out, started outside under a palm tree or something and, or a tree. I don't think it was palm tree. But anyway, and then inside and so on. And it was and it was getting light that we decided to, to go to sleep, you know, uh, <laughs> starting to get light out. But but finally, I could get it down to closer to the way he could talk. But he had one of the most amazing abilities uh, his perception of people and, and people would stop by that is fans of his who had never met before and he would chat with them for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then they'd leave and then he would turn to me and he would say the most well first he, he turned to me and he'd, he'd never say what do you think of this I never heard him say that he always said uh, tell me how does, how does this feel he would say, how does this feel? And then he would say the most amazing, perceptive thing about the person that I'm certain the person had no idea of. And the thing is, it never, it, it never hit my head, the frontal lobes. It hit my heart, it hit my chest. When he'd say, how does this feel? And this is where I'd hear it, right in my chest. Mm. And, uh, and, and I would think, you know, oh, my God, you know, it was absolutely right on. And then I realized that I... That the reason it was so right on is I too had had picked it up, but because my mind was getting in the way, uh, you know, I I might I probably would never realize it, but mm. uh, but I was picking it up. One part of me was picking it up, whether to call it the heart or I don't know, but it was the chest that that it, you know that it and it, it did that a number of times. Whenever he had something that um, he wanted to discuss, so to speak, uh, you know, he would say, how does this feel? And then, boop, 
and I'd go, yeah, feels feels right. That's wow. what I would say. Wow, yeah. I, I don't remember you ever telling me that. It's amazing. It's it's yeah. a, that's a that's a, a direct experience of what Dave and I talk about with you know uh, with our our friends on the air here and uh, people that we meet. It's about how to get to that place without um, you know that it's ineffable. You know, it's not something you can think your way through. You 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 and this is uh, an amazing thing that, folks. You don't have to go to the Himalayas and meet a guru. To find, you know, to start uh, feeling, uh, or, or as Ramdas would put it, have a perspective that's from the heart rather than from the uh, ego mind. And this is a perfect story Tom's just told, that you can just meet anyone, anywhere, and get that experience and get that understanding of, of, of coming from that place is where we we communicate, really. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of what, what happened at, uh, you know, at that radio station at that time, even before Ramdas was there. Sorry about our dogs here. Uh, <laughs> it's just a podcast, folks. It's not, we're, you know, we're not. I, I um, wanted to, that's an incredible story, Tom. Fits in with something that I remember about Beefheart. I didn't know Beefheart like you. Didn't know him at all. But I knew Zappa really well. And Frank had mm-hmm. a, thing about um, British music and used to regale me all the time with the fact that, you know, Herman's Herbits and uh, Freddie and the Dreamers and Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas were getting huge publicity. And one time Zappa said to me at the Holiday Inn in Boston, he said, you know, you've really got to learn about American music. It's most unfair because all of this comes from American music, of course. And I was always open to anything Frank said to me. And he said... uh, You've got to start listening to my friend Don DeVleet and Captain Beefheart. I'd heard of him. I didn't. I didn't. I'd never heard his music. Which Frank cursed me out for that and said that just is typical of you Brits. You just don't want to hear the great American creative artist. And he went on and on about it. And actually, Frank gave me um, a, a tape, a reel-to-reel tape, actually, back in those days, of some of some weird Beefheart thing. And so. It took about another year, and um, I went to see uh, Captain Beefheart at the Village Vanguard in New York, which is a very small venue, and there were only maybe a hundred packed people in there. And um, I have to say, Tom, that this really parallels what you were just saying in a way. I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with the, the genius of this man and his band, the Magic Band. They were magic. And uh, I didn't really know the songs. It didn't matter. He was a constant musician, mm-hmm. a great blues harp player, a <coughs> terrific musician. But the music was rough and, and sort of rough at the edges purposely. He was so, mm-hmm. so clever. But when I, was, when I left, the, I went on my own. And when I left the club, I remember walking down, I guess it was MacDougall Street or Bleecker, one of those small streets in the West Village. And I couldn't even speak to myself. I was so overwhelmed by how great this artist was. And I must say that when he passed, you know, I'm not the kind of person that gets, you know, terribly upset when people pass that mm-hmm. I don't know because he'd go crazy. 7.2 billion people on the planet. Well, when uh, Don died, I just went blank. I just couldn't deal with it, you know, because he was such a vibrant part. From that moment when I saw him and after Zappa mentioned him, I played Trap Mask Replica and the other albums, over and over and over again. I forgot about the Beatles and the Mm. Stones and Dylan. For a part of my life, 
I was just, I, all I had to do was listen to this music and I felt <coughs> wonderful. Sometimes a bit dark, because mm. he had a, a dark side to him. The shadow was there. But his mm. music, you're so right about him. You experienced it personally. It came from the heart. It, it came from the heart. Well, it's interesting that I, uh, it, it just I, I just occurred to me that I was doing an interview with Zappa in New York in his hotel room. Uh, and uh, and I had asked him uh, toward the end of the interview, was, was there someone that he really... Um, you know, admired, respected, so on. And that's when he when he told me uh, for the first time, I'd never even heard of uh, Don Van Vliet. And he said, yeah, there's someone. And suddenly Zappa glowed. I mean, literally, you could see light yes. come out of him. And it touched me in a way that I went, wow, I, I got to meet this guy. I, you know, and that's when uh, I think... Uh, it was shortly after that uh, Trout Mattress Replica came out and so on and so forth. I have one other story to tell about that, about Beefheart. Um, he, he, he called one day, you know, here um, back in the early 70s with, uh, with our group, you know, when, anyway, uh, I mean, he called me, not, not the group, but it's when we had the whole group living here. And he said, I've, I've just written a poem and I wanted to read it to you. Uh, and uh, and then he read me this poem, and the poem was about a sunset. And his poetry is just so extraordinary, you know, just like raw carrots or something. Uh, like, you know, like turnips you'd pull out of the ground, God knows. But anyway, it, it, there was no, it wasn't linear at all. It was just these little, like you could almost say little bits, little fragments. Of, that described the sunset, you know, just little, little tiny images, 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 and then, and then, right at the very end, it, it was the most extraordinary feeling. There was like this flash of light, and it went boom, and I saw the whole sunset. It was like, you know, just I just mm. gasped. Wow. And uh, and I said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. You got it. <laughs> I mean, and I've never had that. I don't think I've ever had that experience before, where you just get little, all these different tiny little snaps, you know, like bits almost, and then at the end, just flash, and there it is, right before you. Mm. You know, yeah. So yeah, he was he was really special. Yeah. Is there <laughs> is there anything of his poetry, a book that was ever put out, or anything like that? Well, no. Well, the funny thing is, I uh, I wanted to put out. A, I wanted someone to publish a book of his poetry, and uh, and when I I had gone up to San Francisco after being spending a couple of days with him, and and I contacted um, it was the same uh, publisher can't remember who put out Richard Brodigan's stories, oh, you know, trust and I and and I you know and I talked to the talked to the publisher and I said, listen, there's this person. Blah blah blah, and uh, you know, and he said, "Well, send me some of his poetry." And so I mentioned this to Beefheart, and Beefheart says, "Well, okay, but I, I've got to, I, I have to, I have to go through these poems." Pick up, he said, I, I, "I, there's changes I want to make, and so on and so forth." So it kind of dragged on, you know, and and I, and at that point, uh, whatever dragged on for months, it seemed. And at that point, he got a new publisher or a new uh, manager who I didn't think too much of, I can't remember his name, and all the better I don't, and uh, <laughs> and who then sent, sent uh, I think it was Trotman's replica, 
to the uh, uh, to the publisher, which was the absolute wrong thing to do. I mean, he, he it was he he needed to hear the words, not the music. I knew the music would just blow him away, but not in a not in a good way. And that's exactly what happened. And when when I heard that he sent him the album. Uh, or the manager sent this guy the album. I just thought, oh God, that's it. You know, that's wow. that's that uh, that ends it. There's no chance because you know you could tell talking to a guy on the phone he was very straight and you know blah right. blah blah. But but he was open in the sense of you know like uh, uh, he was curious and and he would have. Uh, I don't know if anything would have happened, but no, I I wish. So nothing uh, I, happened. I wish that's no nothing happened. No. Wow. no. And there must be an yeah. estate that has this stuff somewhere, I bet. Yeah, probably his, his wife. I assume she's mm. still alive and so on. Mm. Well, hopefully uh-huh. that estate is receiving everything they should receive, it, you know. And I, I want to push Beefheart's albums though, and ask people to go and get them because you won't be disappointed. And they are, uh, they're on iTunes, by the way. Yes. Uh, you can go up to iTunes and you can, uh, I think they're all up there. Uh, they're a revelation. Uh, we, uh, you know, I hope you, you, uh, you have the same fancy that uh, we've gotten, and I got it through Tom all those years back, and it's been a long time, actually, Tom, since I've listened, and uh, r- really appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate that this sort of came back into my life a little bit here, and, and I'm happy to share that with uh, with everybody who's listening. Um, well, we're at the end of our deal here, Tom. We could go on. We'll do this again uh, with have some more fun. I mean, this has just been great. And 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 folks, do go and you you know go to zbs.org, and I'm sure you can navigate there and pick up any of these radio shows. There's some long form ones that are there that uh, I remember uh, back in the day that uh, are are, are uh, delightful. So you can pick those up there as well. Um, we have to throw a little uh, um, uh, mention here uh, to uh, support mindrollingpodcast.com. You can go to our site and you can link up with Amazon. And uh, Tom, what, if you buy anything, can you go to, uh, you do buy from Amazon occasionally, I'm sure, because yeah, everybody yeah. in the whole world does. So go to right, uh, yeah. mindrollingpodcast.com and go to the Amazon banner that we've got there and, and just hit on that and you'll get to Amazon and everything you buy, we'll get a little tiny piece of. And we're we're trying to improve Dave's wardrobe mm. these days. So... Uh, <laughs> Because he's come here and he has UPS T-shirts that I don't know. You must have picked that. Do you have uh, uh, my son-in-law in a brief time worked for UPS and gave okay. me? It's impossible to get the T-shirt. That's why I wear it. It's the coolest, hippest thing you can imagine. I thought it was instead the of op- having a picture of Krishna on my chest, I have okay. a picture. I have a UPS. UPS. One, one thing I just wanted to say, Tom, which I I wanted to ask you uh, quickly, was that if people think that we're just drug, you know addled and we only think, talk about drugs. Frank Zappa never took a drug in his life. Uh, often said to me, he would say to me before we met, you know, have you been smoking? And I'd always say no, because I didn't. When I saw him, I didn't. Mm-hmm. He, he'd drink beer, a couple of beers. So this whole wonderful, surreal world of Zappa and Beefheart and a few others was not about drugs. Am I right, Tom? Was not about drugs, you said? Yeah, not about drugs. Certainly with Zappa. Yeah, no, with Beefheart too. Beefheart had had a couple, I think, LSD experiences way, way, way back. Mm. Uh, and he also had a few other, uh, he had an alien encounter too. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he, he, that explains everything. He, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was uh, in the desert, or, or or you know, the desert. I I think uh, outside L.A. in his car, and uh, and he saw these lights, and then. Uh, uh, and and his car stalled. I think so, something like that. This is before Close Encounters of the Third Kind, by the way, and and he um, he he didn't know what happened. For he woke up like a half an hour later, sitting in the car, and then uh, two or three, I think it was like three spots on his head, the top of his head or the top and the side, I can't remember. Uh, the hair fell out, three little round things, and uh, and this this had this had no. Um, effect on his music or anything he was, he was always who he who he was but uh but nonetheless he he uh found that uh, rather interesting and and i remember at the time a couple spots were uh where he was losing hair again you know they were about the size of maybe a penny or something like that and he he said to me kind of amused he says I wonder they've been back or something. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, anyway. All right. You know, but uh, <laughs> but other than that, no drugs were. Uh, he was he was he was um, uh, he with the musicians and so on. He was very strict about them, you know, using that. He just didn't want that around. Yeah. Well, they obviously he was way tuned in, and it, you know, uh, it is not necessary. Uh, to be creative, that's for sure. And he's a living example, and so is Zappa. Um, so, hey, thanks so much, Tom. Really appreciate uh-huh. you being uh, on our show here, on our podcast. And uh, we certainly do want to do it again. And uh, uh, so I, I we'll tell everybody, please do go to zbs.org and check him out. Check it all okay. out. Thanks will a lot, you? Tom. And we okay, will. Thank you. And we'll we'll talk to you soon. 